to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I am super excited because I started my production assistant job on The Loud House at Nickelodeon this week, and I just completed day two of my job, and it is awesome. I love working there. It is a really cool place to work, and I have to tell you guys, I love my show. I was a genuine fan of The Loud House before I got hired, and I'm an even bigger fan now. You guys, you're gonna love what's coming down the pipe with that show. Obviously, I can't talk about what we're working on because I wanna keep my job and I really like working with everybody, but stay tuned for the rest of season two because it's really cool and I know that you guys are gonna love it. And I just want to say thank you to everybody who sent me so many nice messages on Twitter and Tumblr and Instagram. I really appreciate it. I mean, the outpouring of support has been huge. And I just want to say thank you to everyone out there for listening to the show and for supporting me on my journey. And my journey's not done yet. And all of you out there, your journey's not done yet either. I know that many of you listeners out there are already animation professionals, but a lot of you are not yet professionals. And I know that's something that you're striving for. You know, I get a lot of notes and messages from people in school and people wanting to break in. And I'm here to tell you, it will happen for you. It took a long time for me to break into the industry. And I just wanna say, hang in there. It can be really tough. And there are days where it can be very, very discouraging and you may even have days where you wonder is this ever going to happen for me this this is not going to happen this is it's never going to work out and i just want to tell you that it can and it will you just have to hold on you just have to hang in there so i hope that all of you out there are just hanging in there and working really hard and meeting people and working on your craft and doing well in school, doing well in your classes, doing well on your own, reading books, going to conventions, whatever it is that you need to do, keep on doing it. It will pay off. And speaking of somebody who kept working and kept striving and doing what he needed to do and meeting people and getting things together for his own success, I am very happy to present today part two of my interview with Scotland Barnes. As all of you who've already listened to episode one know, Scotland was one of my teachers at Academy of Art University, and he is one of the hardest working people that I have ever had the pleasure of meeting. And I was very happy that I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with him about his life and his experiences. And I'm very happy to present the second half of his interview. And it starts off with me asking Scotland why he wasn't worried about money, because that's something that plagues all of us. And it wasn't that he never thought about money, and he worked very hard to earn the money he needed to make in order to get where he needed to go, but he had a very interesting perspective on that. And I know that is one of the many things that you'll learn about him today from the interview. So without further ado, I present episode 34, Interview with Scotland Barnes, Part two. How come you didn't worry about that? Because a lot of people, well, not, I don't know how many people do, but, you know, there are definitely those people who, they don't worry about it, they just do it. But a lot of people, they are worried about it. And a lot of people never get into this field because of that. And then other people, they get in, but their parents, their friends are saying, why are you doing this? Go be a doctor. Like, why wasn't that a worry? Well, but one, I was lucky, and my, my parents were always very supportive of that. They always said, you know, you're going to probably have a better chance of succeeding if you like what you're doing. And it's not to say that I wasn't totally free of the money worries because there were some bad days where I remember just being really worried about the money. But it was always this thing of like, if you really had to, you can always go back to those really terrible jobs. And I was always really good at those really terrible jobs. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember at Barnes & Noble, I could stack the books really, really fast. Like, that was no problem. 
What drove me nuts was uh, sales. I hated sales. I, I still hate sales. Uh, this, this is probably the number one thing I hated. When I was doing caricatures, that was the worst part of that whole job was the chit-chat, you know, to get them to get this, to get that. I mean, getting them to have them sit down and do a caricature if they wanted it. I hated twisting arms to do that. But it's like you do learn how to do it because there are ways to do it. And then you start to recognize what is a terrible sales tactic. And uh, as long as I could do it on my own, I wasn't worried that it wasn't ever going to bring me money. I knew that you could always go and get one of those terrible jobs. What I was really upset about was having to go and get the terrible job. You know, like the process of having to apply yeah. and talk to them and tell them, I guess I would love to sell this widget. Sure. Yes, <laughs> of course you would like this wonderful box. Please buy whatever's in the box. It is so awesome. Look at this. It is so wonderful. I got it from China. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, that stuff is the stuff that just, uh, yeah, that's the depressing part. And on the other hand, you really have to care about the thing so much that you're willing to go through hell yeah. to get to it sometimes. Even though doing that here within this country is not nearly as bad as anybody else would tell you. Because mm. I one thing that was really nice was that Long Beach State, I did get a chance to go and travel to a lot of different countries. Oh, really? And when you do see how other people live, you're like, nope, nope, nope we're, we're totally cool here. <laughs> where, so, where did you go? I did several trips where uh, I spent a semester abroad in Britain. Got to travel through parts of France, Belgium. Uh, I worked for a history professor kind of as his TA for a while on a couple of trips. So I got to see Egypt, Greece, Italy. Again, it was all in conjunction with the Roman Empire. So that's how I can babble on about, oh, no. on the about Roman that. <laughs> Very yeah. good. So you yeah. saw what life was like on the other side and went, oh, this isn't... You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. When you're not like having to chuck clothing up to a boat going down to the Nile and risking getting chewed up in the propellers of that boat you realize that you know if you have to work in a liquor store here selling twinkies it sucks it's awful it ain't that bad though yeah you're you know? indoors you're with indoors what? with air conditioning yeah well maybe not air conditioning because some of them depending on where you're at can be really rather disgusting mm. but <laughs> you, you're probably not gonna die uh, unless yeah. it's a really bad neighborhood see that's that's a good perspective because people complain a lot, you know, they come and I, well, it's not that the complaints are not valid, but sometimes yeah. people lose the perspective of just how bad it is. Yeah. It's like there's bad and there's like really, really bad. Yeah. And yeah. most people, I mean, yeah, there are people that do have it really, really bad and they had to come from really terrible circumstances. But most people's really bad is I had to work in retail for a while. Then I got my job. Yeah. It's like, well, and yeah. Bad. The whole thing about retail is retail's not that bad as long as you're able to leave it on the job. That, yeah. Then that's the part where it's really bad because I'm I'm I know my mom will always say I'm very guilty of taking my baggage from work and bringing it home, and uh, you got to learn to let that go. I don't always do that. It's it's hard because especially if you're somebody who's a perfectionist and just crazy in general, you you want to focus on no, it must be better. We must achieve total domination as a storefront. And, and and that's probably not the best because really who cares? It's, you're you're being paid minimum wage. Just leave it at that. Yeah, but I mean, but that shows that you care. That yeah. You're not like you wouldn't get upset if you weren't trying to make it a yeah. better situation. Which conversely makes it really difficult because it's like, but is that how you do? You want to spend your energy on that or on something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, there, there's always those those things about you know what makes. The, the job worthwhile and it's funny that you know you end up caring about a job that almost makes nothing I, I remember working so hard at Barnes and Noble to get everything out onto the bargain shelves because that was my mission in life there for a while <laughs> you know and I was so determined it was like just all this backlog stuff in the bargain section I'm gonna get it all out there <laughs> it will all be achieved and, and, I, and I was doing it I remember largely to spite my coworkers. 
Were you just trying to be like, I am better at this than you? No, no. It's done. Like I was partly to prove that it could be done. And and it was just this thing that was there, and I remember I think my managers must have realized that this this guy's an idiot. He will do. He will work insanely hard to to just do it all out there. We just got to motivate him by spite. That's what everything revolves around with this guy. <laughs> just motivate the thing. Yeah, yeah. See, and again, that it. it, it so uh, what if they were they just like, well, Scotland, you know that can't be done. We know that we don't think you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it's very much that whole thing oh, again. It's. You know, all somebody has to say is like, oh, I don't know if you should do that. It's going to be hard. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I will prove you wrong. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's this whole thing of like, oh, Captain Ahab, we shouldn't go after the white whale. We are going after the white whale. We're going to go after it. We're going to hunt it down to the very ends of the earth. If it kills everyone on this crew, I'm fine with that. You're fine with it too now. Here's a gold piece. <laughs> you remind me of Nightcrawler. <laughs> yeah. The same mentality. It's like, we might get shot in the face, but we're going to get that news story. We'll be the first ones on the scene. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of all or nothing mentality. And then, then there's some things just like, hey, Scott, we need to go out and get groceries. It's like, eh, whatever. I don't need to eat. <laughs> I can just live off of the drawing paper yeah. shavings. <laughs> I've got coffee. What more? Like, why do we need to go get like food? I hate that stuff. It's just whatever. Protein yeah. and nutrients right there. Yeah, exactly. Just give me a box of protein bars. I'm fine. Whatever. I was tell I told this guy once, it's like, what we need is like human chow in a bag. If they just made like Alpo human brand, I'd be fine. Because I like to cook, but to me it's like, what could I spend the least amount of time on and then just do that? Well, that's like, why, yeah, great. Futurama developed their, you know, bachelor chow. Oh, you know, that's in, right. That's know, right. In a bag and you just put it over your mouth and I was like, damn, I want that. Yeah, it would kind of be awesome. I didn't want to have to think about this stuff. Going yeah. to Trader Joe's is frightening because everybody's angry. I find Trader Joe's okay. My issue was I went to the Whole Foods in Glendale and <sighs> the people working there, except for one guy. One guy working there was really nice, but the people working there and even the customers, like everyone that was there just seemed really upset. And I remember thinking, why are you so upset? You're buying a $4 apple. I would think that if you're buying that, you must have like money to burn and be really, really happy. But like, even the most fit, healthy people just look really, really... Well, and that's another thing I always remember uh, as a kid was every time I met somebody who was very well off, they always seemed very, very upset. And if you were very, very poor, you were also upset. But if you were kind of in between and just getting by, eh, it was like, whatever. You know? It was kind of cool. You know? And I also remember that my, my political science teacher at Long Beach, he was always like, when he was talking about getting signatures for petitions and stuff yeah. like that, he's like, first place to go is always health food stores... Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, because everybody who goes there is always upset, and they will sign anything without reading it. <laughs> you know? Just, just give it to them, we'll be fine. It's like, yep. yeah, fine, get out of my face. All you gotta do is just say, it's ruining America, and they will sign away. <laughs> Somehow artists need to, like, incorporate that into all their Instagram and Tumblr feeds. Like, you need to, you know, buy more commissions and follow everything I do and back my Patreon, because it'll help everybody. You need to do this. <laughs> oh, well, some of them do. You know, like, there's all sorts of different ones out there on all sorts of things. <laughs> but it's surprising to see, like, some projects really do get, like, the backing of a whole community. And it's really mm -hmm. great to see that nowadays. And again, like, a whole other realm of it's easier to sell something when you actually care about it. Yeah. And I think that's the great thing with, with so many things. It's like, you know, there's a lot of students out there who have got ideas is not necessarily that their artwork is bad, but it's like it's not selling to the mass market that the studios want to embrace for the mass amount of dollars. They're, they're like you have students and other people just even at the end of the industry who want to aim something for a small niche kind of community. Mm -hmm. And it's just like it's outside the realm of the, the major studios. And nowadays you really can get that stuff out there yeah. if you figure out how how to get the attention of everybody on the internet so you know like i that was one of the things i was trying to remind everybody you know you don't have to go the studio route anymore like there are total ways to circumvent all of that because your dream might not be to be a studio person and I, and I think that's really great because, like, again, I just remember when I got out of Long Beach State, I remember the first thing they tell us about, like, finding a job was, like, well, you're going to make all these postcards and just send them out to art directors. And it's, like, you're basically participating in a junk mailer 
political campaign of just sending stuff out to art directors hoping that they're the right target for it. And maybe you learn which ones are better, but you just get this directory listing and you just kind of mass mail all this stuff to them and hope yeah. somebody responds. Mm -hmm. And it felt very, very blind and defeating to send it out, especially as you've spent like $500 on postcards, which is the most ridiculous feeling in the world. Mm -hmm. But then later on, as time went on, and I just started mailing stuff, I mean, mailing stuff directly to the studios felt much better because it's like, I know what they want. Yeah. May not be exactly this, but at least I'm in the ballpark. And then when you start getting very specific and, you know, now that you can put your stuff up, and you could see what kind of audience you get. That's really encouraging these days. So it's like all the old ways. If people have the imagination, they can find the way to, to make the money, mm -hmm. you know, and to get it out there. That's really yeah. good. That's really good. And talking about that too, like, let's go back because you freelanced a lot. You did a lot of different freelance jobs for a lot of different places. How did you go about finding your different freelance gigs and then conversely how did you make sure that you were you know getting paid what you needed to get paid that is the most frustrating thing because like it was never like a, a solid way and i was never as professional about it because i have other friends who were just way better at that stuff than me like the the business acumen thing like financial acumen is one thing business is another whole thing because you got to figure out how to how to price stuff and what forms do you use? What forms do you make? How do you report this stuff? I'm still terrible at some of that stuff. And I, you mostly learn by trial and error. There is not, like, to my knowledge, a really solid book for artists to say, like, do these things. There, there are better ones, but because, again, the word art and artist is so nebulous, it can apply for so many things out there but it's at least better than it used to be yeah it depends on who you want to go with whether it's the graphic artists guild which is a good book in terms of just giving you some basic forms pact is another great one on online stuff another really great book is just called getting your shit together <laughs> uh that one was also really good and i looked at all of those different ones as well as just business ones for like uh just being a contractor because that's essentially what you are working as mm -hmm. in there and that's essentially how the IRS is going to see it anyways. And and that was probably the biggest thing to learn was that if you really want to understand business, you really just want to understand taxes. Mm. Because in the end, it all relates to taxes, how you report everything relates to taxes. And then from that, that's when you start realizing like, okay, I need to make sure that my estimate sheet looks like this because if I get audited, yeah, I want everything to look pretty prim and prim, you know, proper and so on. But the way I found jobs was always through friends. Oh, okay. And again, that's probably one of the biggest reasons to go to a art school of some sort, whether it be a small one or a really big one or profit, nonprofit, is the network that you're going to build from there, not from your teachers, but from your classmates. Because a lot of the ones I first got were like a friend would be like, I don't want to do this job. Do you want it? <laughs> And it's like, how bad is it? Oh, it's bad, but it pays. And you're like, oh, uh, I guess I want it then. And I remember those jobs that started off at like $200, $300. And then eventually I got some of those jobs that's paying me like a couple of thousand. And then like when I started doing freelance work for the studios, that's when all of a sudden it was jumping up to $8,000, $10,000, wow. And, but I mean, like, you know, sometimes I remember one job was like, oh, I had to wait till the end because I wanted to get it all reported at one time mm -hmm. because it was going to save me a ton of stress when reporting it to the IRS became one lump sum, but it was a job over three or four months. And you're trying to get by on scraps during that time, but you just know like, oh yeah, I could have asked for half up now and half in the middle and mm -hmm. whatnot. It's like, but I just like, no, I'm going to get it right at the end so I can report with the end of the year income and just be done with the whole thing. But I remember it was a really scary thing of one time being at like a convention and it was like, oh, and I have only $100. I hope that comes through. And then I checked back like in five minutes and it's like, oh, thank God I'm rich again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, like you're always going to get the jobs through your friends. If somebody starts to try to play the game of like oh well i only have this walk away 
Hmm. Walk away. And I did do some jobs pro bono on spec where basically it's like, it's a job where you do it for the connections. Sometimes that's good. Mm-hmm. It's always different. So you always have to judge it. It's usually bad. <laughs> Pretty much always bad because you're working basically for free. Okay. But, you know, when it's your friend or if it's helping somebody out who you know, then it's, again, reasonable to do it because then it should not be surprised when someday later on you come in and ask for a favor mm. because that's what you did for them. And it's a form of debt. <laughs> so... They should fully expect that. You know, you may not necessarily know what you're getting in return, mm-hmm. but they should know that uh, you owe me one. Okay. Yeah. What yeah. was your best freelance job and what was your worst freelance job? Uh, Probably the best was doing, like I said, the stuff for Cartoon Network Asia because, like, just I ended up doing, like, one-third of the boards for that. Like, wow. uh, it was for a 90-minute pilot. Are you, can you say, are you allowed to say uh, It was Monster that? Beach, and again, I think it's only aired in Australia. Wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, that one was pretty good. Uh, I really liked the one I did for Warner Bros., which was for uh, uh, one of those directed DVD Scooby-Doo's. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because, like, years later, now I'm working with people who also worked on it who I never met. Oh, wow. And it was like, oh, yeah, now I know where that name comes from. You are so-and-so. Oh, that's cool. What not. Yeah, so, like, it, it's been... Those are the ones that were pretty good. And then there was a lot of, like... Oh, man, so many pitch packets of helping people just promote their work to take it to the studios. I did a lot of that. And again, posting online, that was another way. Like, most of the time it came through somebody I knew. Mm-hmm. But a lot of other times it was somebody saw something online, wrote to my email. I would kind of make sure to... Google search everything about that person to make sure that they were not crazy, that they were legit, and some of them were pretty good. And like, uh, there were a couple that were like $500 here and there, $700, you know, and I was doing like essentially character design work for them, but you know, it's very nebulous for pitch packets. Mm-hmm. What goes into a pitch packet? Like, what are some for people that want to make pitch packets and want to pitch their show? Like, what were some really good ones that you saw that you worked on? Well, a lot of it was stuff that I took over into like a lot of the story development classes that I was teaching, and that's why like I came up with kind of this generic base for a pitch packet. Pitch packets are very nebulous. They don't have necessarily a hard and fast, like, it must be this, this, and this. There's a lot of things they share in common, though. There is usually some sort of log line, you know, that quick one or two-sentence blurb, that elevator pitch that's going to sum up what it is. Mm-hmm. There's going to be... In the case of, say, a movie, it's going to have some sort of outline or synopsis talking about what it is. I mean, like, if you're a screenwriter, obviously it's going to be a script. Mm -hmm. But usually even those will necessarily have sometimes an outline to them. And they'll also have the elevator pitch, you know, log line to it. Then, like, when you get to a TV sort of series one, it's probably going to be something a little bit more nebulous because there's going to be suggestions of what the episodes are. And then there are going to be a lot of descriptions of who the characters are, mm-hmm. all right? And there might be a kind of synopsis of what the series is going to be kind of like. So it does change a lot. Yeah. There's no hard and fast rules to them. But yeah, like it's it's always kind of a little bit, it depends on who you're talking to. And everybody has something different. Like one studio wants one thing, another studio wants another thing. One talent agency is looking for this. Another one's looking for that. And so you really do have to learn what those people look for. And the only way to find out is unfortunately to apply and get rejected and get rejected and Mm -hmm. get rejected. And if you're lucky, you'll meet somebody who will be like, oh, okay, we're looking for this. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, the only way to learn that is just to just get in touch with those people and to find out because it's not really written down anywhere. Mm. Uh, Actually, one of my first weird things after school was I had sent stuff to a guy who I thought at the time was a recruiter and when I met him originally he was still a recruiter and then later on it was like oh no now I'm in part I'm in charge of of development and he's like I really like this one drawing do you have a story behind it and you're like of course I do <laughs> there's always a story let me go I'll get right back to you in five minutes yeah and but it was weird I did end up pitching to some producers at a at a studio about that 
And then I got into it a couple of other times that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of weird to learn. I mean, I, I, it was a disaster in a way almost every time, but I always learned something from it. Okay. Did it, did it feel like a disaster at the time or did it just... You ever, you ever been up on stage and know that you're bombing kind of like in stand-up? Yeah, and you just kind of keep... I've done improv. You just kind of keep going. It's like, soon this will be over. So... Yeah. All right. Let's yeah. just keep yeah. saying weird Pit- things. And then you hope the other person's going to run past Pitching, you. <laughs> Pitching is very much... Uh, pitching a show is very much like that or a movie Ooh. or anything like that. Like, you just see it on their face that they don't get it. And if they're good, if they're nice people, they'll tell you why. They usually do it in very polite, disguised terminology... Uh, that you will have to decipher later on, but that will still be very helpful. It's kind of like when you go in an interview and you know you're bombing. Yeah, it's like L.A. friendly. It's like, they're not going to say anything bad, but it's just going to be kind of like, you walk out going, they really hated that. They just didn't want to tell me to my face. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like that. I mean, I remember doing that, especially a lot of times with teaching. You know, you're teaching those morning classes and you're trying to get everybody excited so you say something it's like hey guys joke and then they're just like whatever mr teacher (laughs) i just want to like look on facebook or snapchat i got my phone oh man how that's gotta be rough (laughs) yeah yeah and that's when you that's when like just like any stand-up comedian you go right for the profanity to keep them awake (laughs) you're just like we're just gonna start swearing up but that's gotta be tough because you're when you're pitching, that's got to be hard because it's like, no, I put my heart and soul into this and you don't get it. And as a teacher, that's got to be hard because you're like, I'm giving you wondrous knowledge that took me years to try to like, you know, I had to like claw out of people. And now it's just here and you're on your phone, not paying any kind of attention. Well, and again, like uh, the biggest problem that you see, at especially at the university level, mm-hmm is students who just don't want to be there. I mean, you take it for granted but that... it's expensive. Like, right, it's expensive. Want, how are you there if you don't want to be there? Well, again, like, that's the thing that when you have students who are in their late teens and early 20s, the reality of the world and what money costs and all of that still hasn't necessarily gone on. Not to say that it's true for everybody, because I have had some very motivated freshmen mm-hmm. uh, as students. And, you know, when the student is motivated, that's all the difference in the world. It really doesn't matter where the student comes from what their financial background is any of that stuff it may cause some changes or some differences but the main thing is if the student wants it if they care it makes all the difference all right but this is also why when you go to a lot of private art schools you will find the median age tends to be about 25 26 Mm. all right and this is one of the reasons why eventually I just preferred teaching the graduate students because they had all gotten some sort of previous degree even if it hadn't been in art they were all familiar with the reality of like what it takes to get through a four-year institution. And here you are on an accelerated two-and-a-half or three-year program, and you got to keep going, and you can't screw up. Yeah, It was really true. I had some freshmen who wouldn't lie to me that they had been at a party all night and hadn't done their homework. They're just like, yeah, Mr. Teacher, like, I, you know, I was just over at Christina's, and I didn't do my work because I thought it was lame. Yeah, and they just tell me that to my face, and it's like, just because I'm the young guy, you should still lie to me. You should still lie to me, because lying is something that, as a skill, you need your entire life. You want to be able to do it well and proficiently, all right? It's a survival skill. I'm giving you an F. I can't believe they just told you that. Oh, yeah, no, students would tell me that all the time. It's like... They should have done the work, but don't just be like... Or if you're going to screw up, just be really honest, like, hey, this is my fault. I messed up. Next time I will do better. Yeah, there, like, there is even, that. But then there's the ones that. where you're just like, oh, God, I remember this one student who she, she came up to me and she's like, I just partied really hard last night at this rock concert. And I totally lost my flash drive because I was kind of doing maybe way too much pot. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know where it is. So can I just get out of this? Well, and I was just like, no. Well, you could offer me a bribe. Like, what's the bribe? And it's like, oh no, I don't have anything. She's like, wow, I. <laughs> you could have at least lied, you know? Like, tell me you were stuck up, you were mugged, your bag got stolen. Yeah. You know, and and it's really funny because then you'd have the some of these kids where it's like they're so dressed up early, early in the morning, but then they're just checked out. Huh. And you're just like, because you think that. They- 
It's like, Clearly. are you dressed for success so that you can focus? Or? Well, they're not dressed for success, but they're dressed for some sort of oh. other success. Oh. <laughs> yeah. um, See, I, I, my mind is going to, when I was an undergrad, there was a guy that he wore a suit to class every day because he found that if he did that, he'd be focused and he wouldn't like mess up and he'd actually like focus on his job yeah, and what yeah. he had to do. And he did really well in the class. And we we're thinking that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. Like they're wearing like power suits. That's, that's obviously not what was going no, on. No, 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 no. They're not thinking that kind of success. I mean, no, I, I have had some people who do dress that way and my kind of like semi uniform that I created when I was teaching mm-hmm. also helped me with that. Plus also like wearing a necktie every day, you know, you learn that necktie beats no necktie. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, like I remember I had one, uh, guy, veteran guy, and he would still wear not his entire uniform, but partially it just because it kept him in that mindset yeah. of I'm here to learn, I'm doing a job, I'm serving, I'm doing this. And that was his whole mindset of getting mm-hmm. through a class. Yeah. You know, that's smart. That's what makes yeah. sense. I feel like if that helps you focus and helps you do what you need mm-hmm. to do, go for it. If it doesn't yeah. help you find the thing that helps you. Yeah. My whole thing was that usually I dressed the same way because, like, I hated trying to figure out clothes in the morning. Well, I saw a picture you posted once. You're like, this is my, it was just a closet filled with brown, brown shirts. shirts. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. wow, you have, like, 50 of the same shirt. Yep. And it's really weird being down here in L.A. and it not being the weather to wear those at all. Oh, no. So do you still have any? Oh, yeah, I still have all of them because, like, you know, there's those two days out of the years when it gets cold here. And you're you know? just like, all right, this will work. Yeah. It's the most relaxed I've been in years. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So that is good. So then, how's it like now? I mean, now you're at Disney. Yeah. Which are you, I mean, that is the studio for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And it's the grandfather of animation, for, you know, with a couple of exceptions here. What is that like going from crazy retail jobs and different freelance jobs and teaching to being at Disney? I mean, just listening to the older guys, like, my whole perspective on the job is way different because this is so much less stress. Mm. Just being a storyboard production artist on a show. Um, because it's like, hey, you got six or seven weeks. And I'm like, I can draw a lot of stuff during that time. Yeah. And people are all like, I don't know, we need some 2,000 drawings. I'm like, I can do that. I can totally do that. I, I mean, I train myself to be fast, you know? And I, it's just really funny because, like, again, like, I hear a lot of the older guys, mostly guys, I never hear the women complain about it, but the guys are like, oh, it's so much work, it's all this and whatnot, and, you know, uh, maybe it is, I, I know a lot of people say that storyboarding is a younger person's profession. Really? Yeah. I've never heard anybody uh, Well, it's, it's something that comes up because it's just like, it is a lot of hours, but if you're on task, it's not that bad. And again, I only have to think on one thing, not six different classes that each one has a different curriculum. Mm. And then you're not going home to do freelance. Not to say that there aren't people in, you know, in the studios who are doing things like that. I just haven't gotten back to that level of crazy yet. Mm. You know, I think if I had a mortgage and whatnot and a kid, I probably would be that guy going out there teaching two or three classes at night and then doing a freelance job on the side, Mm -hmm. you know, and some people really do that. I mean, like, uh, I'm always amazed to see some of my friends where I'm like, wow, you're doing your job plus you're doing all these comic books. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, how'd you do that? Can I have some of that money? <laughs> you know? But right now, it's like I- I'm not engaging back into that level of insanity yet. Mm-hmm. You know? But, yeah, like, the teaching thing was way, 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 way more stress than than trying to just get your boards done on time it's also because it's a it's a problem that i understand if when i go into a pitch and i get all these notes out of it it's like i can just draw my way out of that stuff mm-hmm. whereas like when i worked in social games and i would do freelance for there or i was working in a studio and my biggest weakness is color and value and getting those things to mesh and to really have a very precise finished polished look all of my stuff is very loose and rough and i'm just not that guy took me a long time to learn that but i couldn't just paint my way out of it i didn't understand 
that. I mean, I got better mm-hmm. slowly, but I just was never the top person for that. There's other people who who get that much better than me, and it just realizes like I'm not that guy for that job. I can draw really fast and and do it that way, but it's like you know nowadays it's just not nearly as hard as it used to be. Wow. So it sounds like it's just a thing of it's all relative. Like oh, if yeah. you had just all this other work and then going into something like this, it's like, oh, where is it? Maybe this is. Yeah. I know for some people, I've met a couple people where studio job is the first job they've ever had. Yeah. Like they maybe had one job in high school or one job in college and they immediately went into a studio job, which to me is amazing, but also crazy. Like, wow, this is your first job. Yeah. What is that like, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it is all relative. And again, like having worked a lot of different jobs, both good and bad, and having some bosses who were crazy and some bosses who went crazy on the job and some who were totally awesome. Like you you just realize how to, how to get through a lot of that stuff. And then if your only perspective is that you've been drawing and that's always been your job, you may not be appreciative of just how it is. And again, like I'm still kind of new in the studio system. Like uh, I'm used to everything coming at me at once. And this thing is kind of like, I remember when they've asked me to do revisions sometimes at work or could I change this and that? And then they're always so worried if they're hurting my feelings. I'm like, no, no, that's like, I'd rather get more notes earlier, faster, sooner mm-hmm. than, than doing that. Just don't tell me at the end of the deadline that you want this and that changed. I mean, yeah. sometimes that happens and you just have to deal with it, but that it's so minor so far in that. And again, like all of my other storyboard freelance jobs have pretty much been that way is like, I turn it in and then they're like, okay, we have some changes and you do it. And then it's just like, okay, good. Here's your check. And, and like, it's been so easy that way. So I don't understand sometimes the older guys, but then again, I haven't been doing it as long. They might have some different sort of things on it. And the other thing though, is I learned sometimes is that sometimes people don't have necessarily the knowledge they think they have. Like I've been told by some guys, oh, I really know Photoshop. And then they don't know how to cut and paste. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, I thought you said you knew Photoshop. And then I'll say something about like the channels. And that's always the first thing. If you, if you, if you tell somebody you understand how channels work and you actually know how channels work, it's like, (laughs) and someone tries to talk to you. It's like the first thing I can tell about somebody who knows Photoshop, if they understand how to use the channels components in Photoshop, it's like such a huge thing. And you know, in a program like Storyboard Pro, which is so stripped down. Storyboard Pro is nice. <laughs> you know, and, and then, but then they tell me, it's like, oh, wait, there's a dynamic camera? There's a static camera? Or how does this work? Vector brushes? What do you mean vector brushes? What are those? And it's just like, some of the older guys I work with, I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's also the same sort of thing also in like when they're drawing and it's like they can't really tell me the anatomy of something. Or how something really moves. And you start to realize that some people are a bag of tricks. That's not to say that they're all that way. But it's like a lot of the... There are people that you meet where it's like that. But most of the guys that you meet are usually top-notch pros. That's really good. It just sounds like just... Be able to just know what you're doing. Like really know what you're doing. Just really, really study it. And don't just go for like the easy way out. Yeah, well, and that's, that's again, something that you see, like, especially when I was teaching, you'd see those sort of things. And it's always really reflective on you and yourself as a teacher because all of the problems that you had as a student, when you start teaching, come back tenfold oh. at you because you're going to see it in every single one of your students. And you're going to be reminded of it all the time. Oh, no, I take it that that happened? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just I mean, like, I'm seeing my... my faults and flaws like you see them in everybody every student you will ever have will remind you of some sort of problem you have hopefully because that's how you're gonna be able to tell them don't do that wow is that is that a scary thing when you hurt that's got to be horrifying to to see that reflected yeah of like 40 students yeah 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 i mean it it does come back and kind of haunt you but again I, I'm really glad that Sherry, Chuck, Lisa, all of them gave me this chance to teach because 
that whole experience of five years, you know, in and out of the school teaching there and other places that I've gone through to do workshops and stuff like that. It's like those things really made me feel like I earned that master's degree now. Like mm. there's still other areas that I will still keep working on with like everybody, but now I feel so much more understandable about like what it is and how to break it down. And just in general, it's just like, it made me feel so much more secure in my knowledge as opposed to just going out there and jumping into it. Cause now it's like, I had to be able to explain it. And that makes a huge difference. And you can really see in the instructors who, who do know how to break something down. And if they're willing to keep challenging themselves, then you're not going to get that t instructor. Who's just very, very static. Here are my five handouts. Do what I say. Thank you very much. Have a nice class. That makes sense. That's interesting too that you were talking about that because I was actually I was talking to someone else on a previous interview and we were talking about that kind of thing of just having you never stop learning. It's not like because I know like for me, I had this idea in my head of oh I'm gonna go to art school and then when I graduate I will know what I need to know and then I will get a job because I worked really hard and realizing that oh that was very that was false thinking a hundred percent that's not how it works and everyone that i've talked to you know people that have been doing this for 10 years 20 years are like oh no i take workshops all the time i go yeah. do life drawing all the time i go do teaching all the time it's like oh there's not like this place you get to where it's like and then one day i arrived on the mountaintop and now i know everything about it at the end yeah i had a i had a uh kid asked me one time uh, at a convention he's like you know because he saw me sketching while i was waiting to go to an interview and he was just like he thought i was just busting the stuff out and he had no idea in my mind i'm like god this is hard this is hard this is so hard <laughs> this is so much pain why am i doing this to myself and and the sketch was it was good but it wasn't as good as i knew it could be mm -hmm. but to him it looked amazing He's seeing it as great, and I'm seeing every single one of my flaws. And he's like asking me, he's like, does it ever get easier? And I was like, no, 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 no. You may scale the cliff, but you will realize that there will always be another cliff or another mountain peak. And the range goes on and on and on. So I hope you're a sadist. <laughs> you know? Or a masochist, you know, a sadomasochist, because you got to be willing to inflict the pain on yourself. And if you want to get really much better, you must be willing to inflict the pain on others. <laughs> See, and that's actually weirdly encouraging to hear because you just get to this point where it's like, will I ever improve? Yes, you will. But will there ever be the point where you stop? No. And even, I mean, people that we would look at and we're like, oh, but they're the masters. That's not how they feel. No, no, no. no. I mean, only, only the most conceited ones will ever feel that way. On the other hand, it's not to make people feel like, Oh, you will never feel satisfied. Because, like, sometimes you will turn around and you'll look back at an old sketch and be like, I did that? Wow, that's actually good. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> and and that's the funny thing is, like, uh, there have been those weeks uh, on the job at Disney where, uh, like, or even the stuff I did for other studios. And it's like, I, I look at it and I'm like, it's not that great. And then you look at it later and you're like, wait, that was actually not too bad. Wow, I pitched that? That's actually good. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of the other times you're, like, pitching stuff and you're like, oh, God, not that frame, not that frame, not that frame, not the frame. <laughs> don't look, so bad. Don't look. Everyone sneeze at the same time. Yeah, totally yeah, yeah. Those are always those ones where you're just, like, so terrible. And it's so funny because, like, some of the best drawings, especially when you're storyboarding and you just have to get the stuff out fast, mm -hmm. is the drawings where you no longer care all of the like worry you're just like nope it just has to be done i'm done i'm so tired of this i'm done with this and i'm just gonna draw it and it's gonna be done and i'm gonna never have to look at it again this was an awful job and everything about it was awful and i hate my life and then you turn it in and you look at it later and you're like oh hey when i stop caring i actually do good work it's amazing but then you would have to not care about any of it ever it's like yeah it would be too bad Oh man. <laughs> no, I mean like there's like I remember in the old days when you'd be sitting there on the phone calling to people and sometimes you're doing like that telephone doodle. Yeah. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, that telephone doodle was way better than anything I spent like two hours on. Oh. 
That's got to be kind of painful, though. It is, but, I mean, like, I just remember... And because it still happens, like, uh, I remember my biggest problem when I was drawing, when I was at, Nar at Nickelodeon as an intern, was I was overworking things. I couldn't figure out where that middle ground was and that judgment level. And you just have to build up so much mileage mm -hmm. to learn where that is because I would kill every single one of my good ideas by overworking it. And I was overworking it because I had a lack of knowledge of something, of how something worked. And nobody would really explain that to me. They would look at it and say like something, I would get like these vague answers about something. And it's like, the vague answer would be something like, oh, well, this is just looking like you're losing the gesture or what about the gesture? What, what do you mean about the gesture? And it's like, well, it feels just too masculine or, or it just feels... Uh, like, you know, just too wishy-washy. And some of that can be good mm -hmm. ways of explaining things, but you also need to be able to show me like, oh, you mean it's too masculine because I'm using too many hard edges, mm -hmm. all right? Or the gesture's being lost because my knowledge of anatomy and cartoon anatomy, which are not the same things, is getting too stiff and rigid because the parts don't flow into each other and I'm drawing too aggressively, pressing hard on the paper. And so those are some of the differences, like when you're talking to students and you're trying to explain things about that, it's like mm -hmm. finding those sort of ways of explaining a whole different way of looking at something. Yeah, that's really good. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell younger Scotland? Like Scotland that's just starting off on his quest to do this from all the different things that you've learned. What would you tell like your younger self? Uh, mostly to believe it or not that you're actually doing the right thing. <laughs> it's going to suck, but you will get there eventually. There is no way of beating the clock. You're not going to get there any faster. Because, yeah, like a lot of times it would all work out in the end. I spent probably way too much time worrying about stuff when there was always an answer. I think when I see other students who worry about like the future, mm -hmm. as long as you have family or family members or people in your life who are going to be willing to look out for you uh, and be there for you, it, you will figure it out eventually. Time is on your side in a way. And it may not necessarily be exactly what you think it's going to be, but things do work out, but it's... You, you know, that doesn't still mean that you get to just be there and be this optimist because I hated that. People who just like, things just work out in the end. It's all, uh, life is fun and that. No, it's not, no, no. Still pay the bills, play the long-term game. In the arts in general, you can do that. You cannot do that in sports. You can't do that really in acting and in many other professions because there is a physical time limit because if you're playing in sports your body's only going to hold up for so long if you're a model male or female you only got your good looks for so long before age sets in and i'm sorry but madison avenue madison avenue in hollywood yeah there's jobs for old people but not the ones you probably want but the arts you can spend your time drawing and building up that skill for a very very long time and you got to find out where in all of that, because like I said, it is so nebulous, where you fit. I think that's the most hopeful thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah, it and happens on occasion. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. But thank you very much mm -hmm. for coming in and talking. I really appreciate it. I know people are, I enjoyed listening to this. I learned a lot. Yeah. Always really cool. And I know other people are going to learn a lot too. So thank you very much, Scott. Yeah, thank you. And that concludes my interview with Scotland Barnes. Special thanks to Scotland for being a delightful guest. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to stop by iTunes and leave a review. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And also, you can donate to the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal button. All of your donations help more and more people to find out about the show as well. And special thanks to Amy for donating this week. Thank you so much, Amy. I really appreciate your donation. And if you want to be a rock star like Amy, you can donate as well. 
And also remember to visit all of our lovely sponsors, Amazon.com, Audible.com, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. Amazon, as all of you out there know, is your place to buy everything. And with the Christmas season rolling around, you don't want to go to the mall. You don't want to have to deal with parking. You don't want to get into fights with grandmothers over Xboxes and Blu-ray players. You just don't. So shop on Amazon. It's hassle-free. You can shop in your pajamas. You don't have to deal with parking. And the prices are going to be better. So I recommend it. That's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And it has been delightful. And if you want to check out all the latest in audiobooks, Audible is your place to go to find everything you could ever want to listen to. And if you want to get the latest in geek and gaming gear, make sure to check out Loot Crate. And if you want to start your very own podcast, I highly recommend my podcast host, Blueberry Podcast Hosting. So you can find the links for all of those on the website. And when you click on those links and make your regularly scheduled purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that helps me out immensely with technical costs and web hosting costs. So thank you to everybody who has visited our sponsors. And make sure to visit the Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram pages for the podcast. On Facebook, that address is www.facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, it's theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, it's at animjourney. And if you want to see what I've been up to, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at sketchysoul. So thank you to everyone for listening. Tune in next week for another exciting episode. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.